Welcome to Menu Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love, starting with San Francisco. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. On this episode of Menu Stories, we speak with Chef Trish Tracy of Myriad Gastropub, a globally inspired restaurant in the Mission neighborhood in San Francisco. From an early age, Tracy was inspired by her mother, who opened her own business in her 40s and always made time to nurture Tracy and her brothers and sisters. Gastropub's a style of service and a style of restaurant that, that speaks to me and that I think that my guests would enjoy. I want them to come in and feel like they got really great food that you know I put a lot of thought and effort and time into and trained my cooks and used great ingredients and they put it in their face and like, oh, I need another bite of that. But they feel relaxed, they feel at home, they feel warm and welcome from 18 years old until, you know, in my 40s when I opened the restaurant. One thing that never changed was that I just wanted a place where people came in and felt welcome. Let's have a listen. We are here at Myriad Gastropub with chef owner Trish Tracy. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining me in my restaurant. (laughs) Appreciate it. In your own words, can you describe what Myriad Gastropub is? Absolutely. It is a local neighborhood gathering place where people can come by and enjoy a meal and have an experience to sort of nourish their soul in a very relaxed and unpretentious and friendly sort of environment. I have always wanted to open a restaurant where people felt like they just came to my house and had a great meal. And it was okay to spill and okay to get loud. And this uh, space has quite a history, it sounds like, what preceded Miriam Yeah, Kastropen. so just before me, it was called Nambe, and um, it was an isakaya, which is basically a Japanese gastropub. So sort of, you know, it was meant to have that same feel. They did a lot of small plates, and they did, you know, ramen and things. Um, but it is in, you know, sort of a local neighborhood, so I think they were going for that same feel, but doing, you know, what they know how to do. Um, before that, it was a taqueria. I believe, called Santana's, and I think somewhere down the line before that it was a diner that was run by uh, a member of the family that owns the building. So it has a long history of people, you know, being in the neighborhood and, and, you know, feeding the locals, and and they've all been sort of small mom-and-pop kind of places. You just recently opened. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. What, uh, what What was that experience like? Everything I knew it would be, and... 10 times more. Uh-huh. Um, I've opened restaurants. I've opened several locations as the chef for other people. So I've been through the process and I know that it's grueling and it's a, a lot of hours and it's a lot of stress, but it's also really exciting, super adrenaline pumping. Um, I enjoy doing an opening. I knew as much as you can know that it was going to be a different experience because now I own it. So I knew going into it that I didn't know what was coming my way, if that makes any sense at all. Um, and it was, you know, kind of everything I expected. It was uh, all this, all the stress and organization and and juggling that I've I've known through the process before opening it as the chef, and then um, a whole other can of worms in terms of being the owner. And um, you know, this is a quote unquote small project compared Mm -hmm. to you know lots of restaurants that open in the city so um, there wasn't a a gigantic budget the the funding was very grassroots very much all came from hard work and my own blood sweat and tears and a lot of people that supported me Um, but so that means okay you're on a tight budget guess what that means it means you're doing a lot of stuff yourself 
So I didn't have a general contractor. I had a, an amazing designer who's a, a friend and you know colleague and that I've known for years. So he helped me sort of put together the feel and the look. Mm -hmm. um, but it was you know me on site all day every day with the contractors, um, which was great. It was it made it feel like I built the place with my own two hands. I mean, right. I didn't, I didn't paint the walls. Uh, so, so kind of juggling all of that sort of being, you know, on, on site and going through the construction and, and designing the menu and hiring the, the staff and, you know, pulling everything together at once was uh, amazing and for sure the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> right. So what made you want to open your own restaurant and how did you sort of decide on the theme and where to focus? <sighs> Pure lunacy, I suppose. <laughs> People are like, are you sure you want to open a restaurant? Um, it's really funny because actually as I was going through the, the funding process, um, which is one of the hardest things that you'll ever do. I mean, in this whole process, that was part of, that was probably one of the hardest things to do. And I think if you ask anybody that raised rest money to open a restaurant, they'll probably tell you the same thing. Um, and this was when I was, you know, I was in, I was all in. It, there was no chance it wasn't going to happen. You know, mm -hmm. um, I had several people along the way genuinely kind of tried to give me pause and say, are you sure you want to do this? It, you know, it's really hard. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Um, I have wanted to open a restaurant since I was probably 18 years old. And I think I was destined to open a restaurant since I was like five or six and I was throwing tea parties in my closet <laughs> with my girlfriends. We would literally, I had this really ginormous, big, sort of strange, under the stairs, a little scary closet in my bedroom. And my girlfriends and I would like get an extension cord and we would take a lamp and we'd go in there and we'd have like tea parties in, the, in my closet. That's awesome. And then as we got older, we would actually like make food and take food in there. So I've just always, I come from a big family. I'm a people pleaser. I had older siblings that were in the restaurant business as I was like a teenager. And then, you know, they were sort of ahead of me and I found it like fascinating and exciting and thought I wanted to do that too. Um, and then, so when I was in high school, I got my first job and once my mother realized I was doing this, she was like, well, if you want to go to school, you need to, you know, get a real job and see if you like it. And then that was it. Once I, once I hit culinary school, there was really no turning back. I absolutely loved it. Um, Where'd my mother you go wasn't sure who I was. She was like, who are you? And what have you done with my daughter who doesn't get great grades? Because, <laughs> you know, I did okay in high school, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't into it. I wasn't right. committed to it. I was just trying to get through high school. Right. And then culinary school, it was just, you know, it was great. It was like a you know, at a playground. It was just no turning back. Where'd you go to school? I went to Johnson & Wales University in Providence um, with every intention of, you know, back to my can't wait to get out of high school thought process that I would go for culinary training and then just get out into the world and make my way. Um, I didn't really conceive of the fact of staying for two extra years and study more. <laughs> um, but I, it was somewhere in that first year that I realized that I loved cooking and I loved the whole thought process of restaurants and how they run and just everything that went into it. And my mother had been a, an entrepreneur and started her own business in her 40s. And, and um, so somewhere right around then when I was 18, I decided I would want to own my own restaurant someday. I didn't know it would take me 30 years to do <laughs> it. I probably at the time thought I'd have it going on, you know, by my mid 20s, because when you're in your early 20s, right. you, you think you're going to tackle everything right away, but um, right. it's okay. It happened when it was supposed to. I feel ready now, so. 
What um, you were mentioning quite a bit about your childhood and your brothers and sisters and your mom. Where was this? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Jersey girl with a San Francisco soul. I really considered New Jersey and San Francisco both my home. When I'm going to New Jersey for a visit, I say I'm going home. Yeah. And when I'm done and I'm coming back, I say I'm going home. Um, I, I love both coasts equally. They're completely different. Day-to-day life here it makes me happy being in San Francisco, having every possible product available to us, the, the vibe here, the openness, the cultural diversity. I love all of that. But mm-hmm. I also love New Jersey, where all my friends are, my family, and where I grew up, and lots of good memories, and the beach, and bagels, pizza, and Taylor ham, <laughs> clams on the boardwalk. So, you know, both, both places feel very much at home to me. So did you grow up on the, close to the Jersey Shore? Well, we grew up about an hour away, mm-hmm. but if you live in New Jersey, that's what you do. Yeah, you, you go, go down the shore. <laughs> right. You don't go to the beach, and you don't, don't go to the shore, you go down the shore. Right. So you're going down the shore <laughs> this weekend, yeah. So we spent all of our family vacations there, and actually uh, some of my brothers and I still, we share a house there. So when I do go home, I have a place that feels like home. It was my mother's house, so. Oh, that's yeah, nice. it's really nice. Did you guys cook at home a lot, I imagine, or? Yeah, well, I, you know, spent time being underfoot, probably, (laughs) most of the time, but my mother never made me feel that way. I I didn't know that my mom wasn't a great cook until later, until I started cooking. (laughs) I thought she was great, because every night there was a well-balanced meal on the table. We sat down for dinner together every night. Um, you know, until we all started, you know, reaching teenage years, we actually would have breakfast together most mornings before she got us all off to school. Mm-hmm. And I can still remember her, you know, making us hot cereal in the winter because we had to walk to school in the cold and she would make sure we, you know, she wasn't like busting out bacon and eggs for everybody, but right. she always made sure that we had a, you know, breakfast and we had a lunch packed and that we had a well-balanced meal on the table. When I got a little older, I realized that they wasn't, you know, it was very much food of the 70s, you know. Um, I don't know who, i definitely dating myself and getting my age out there, and I don't know who else remembers the Shake and Bake commercials. But, yeah, I um, remember the Shake and Bake yeah, commercials. Yeah, so one of, <laughs> one of the, my favorite first things that I would do was shake the chicken in the bag. Right. And then, oh boy, those, my mom and my aunt, they would shake and bake everything. So you'd, they'd, <laughs> first you'd shake and bake it, and then you'd pour some sort of can of Campbell's soup on top of it, and then bake yeah. it some more. Right. So it wasn't until I was probably 18 or 20 that I realized what a pork chop was actually supposed to taste like. Right. Because we'd get these like thin little pork chops, and shake and bake them, and then cover them in soup, and then put them in, the, they were just like shoe leather. I just thought it was the worst thing that you could eat was a pork chop. Um, but... It, you know, the house definitely revolved around the kitchen, whatever it was, whether it was like everybody piling in for after school snacks or um, there was, there were, you know, maybe once a week, maybe not quite once a week, but every so often she would just be too tired after an eight hour day to yeah. cook for six kids. And, yeah. and you know, we were like, what's for dinner? And she would say hodgepodge. And hodgepodge was when we were like, yay, hodgepodge, like six screaming kids getting let loose. So we all just got to get let loose in the kitchen and make whatever we wanted. So it was often um, breakfast for dinner. There'd be pancakes and waffles and things with sugar on them. You know, she'd be like, just eat something, you know, you'll be be fine. So, yeah, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, um, you know, a big Italian household, like where I learned 
how to make the gravy for my grandmother. You know, a lot of people like start cooking at a very young age and learn a lot, a lot of old world things from, from their parents. But I did learn a lot of stuff and there are things that my mother made me that were just very comforting that I have sort of gone back to and, and just, you know, put my own chefly spin on them. Yeah. But they're, you know, tastes and flavors from my childhood, so. Like what? Um, well, like on the menu right now, I have deviled eggs. Mm -hmm. So the deviled egg itself is just my mother's recipe. It's very, very simple. You scoop out the egg yolks and mix them with mayonnaise and Dijon and salt and pepper and just mm -hmm. put the right amounts and they're delicious. Of course, then I used some of my influences from over the years of being a chef and added other flavors and added, you know, um, texture and crunch, you know, so they come with a, a thin slice of um, breakfast radish and then there's a little crispy fried salad and then there's a little drizzle of salsa verde so it turns it into a whole different Delicious. thing but where it came from was that you know my mom would make deviled eggs when her friends were coming over and she'd have to make extra because I would eat like six of them <laughs> before anybody ever got there um, I would always you know sit on a stool at the counter and help her with things like that sounds like your mom has a pretty big influence then on on you as a person and on, and on your cooking style and she flavors. does I mean not so much on my cooking style as I said you know there was a lot of shake and bake and right. London broil and whatnot right, right, right. but just on the on the um the whole thought around cooking and sharing a meal with your family and and that bringing people together you know we we always had dinner together and every Sunday we had all six of us plus seven of my cousins and you know so every Sunday there was a family dinner so that in that way she influenced that that's that's the feeling that I want to create in mm -hmm. my restaurant is that you know you get together around a table and whatever else was happening during, during your day can really just go away because right. the food tastes good and it nourishes you you know physically mentally and we had a, a customer the other day and, and uh, it was a, a couple and the, it was a boyfriend and girlfriend and and the boyfriend said she had the worst day and he's like and she is like look he goes look at her she's a completely different person than when she walked in here because she just had a bad day I don't know what it you know yeah. what it was you could have a bad day for any reason she just you know it all melted away she had a delicious meal she had a little glass of wine she spent time with her man and you know that's really what more could you ask for to go out for a meal and, yeah. and then there's a lot of other reasons you can go out to celebrate something and so my mother definitely influenced me in that way that you know that time together, that family time, or those, the time with friends. She was a very social person and had a million friends and would make fun of me because I have so many friends. She was like, how do you keep them all straight? I was like, you're still hanging out with your high school girlfriend. Right. So I think I get that from you. Right. Um, so those are good influences. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So what brought you out uh, to San Francisco? Cooking. I, um, I had grown up my whole life on the East Coast. I had had a couple of adventures, you know, I went away to college and my, during my four years at college, I did something different every summer. You know, one summer was just living at the Jersey Shore. <laughs> when you're 18 years old and you're still, you know, in your own state, but not living under your parents' roof, it feels like an adventure. Right. Um, I did my externship in Tahoe and I spent a ah. summer in Maine. And so I really was sort of getting that bug of like seeing new places and doing new things. And um, after school, I worked in Connecticut for a couple of years, but just was really, felt itchy feet that I wanted to have an adventure and I wanted to take the next step in my career and I wanted to have a, a culinary adventure. I contemplated moving into New York City, but at the time it just didn't feel like it was the right fit for me. So I chose San Francisco <laughs> instead and went as far away as I could get pretty much. Why? 
You just have everything available to you. It's really how I came up with the name for the restaurant when I sat down and thought about you know what it was I was going to do and what I was setting out to do. I just thought about my life here as a chef and that I feel like the possibilities of what I can do are endless and infinite to me. And that's kind of how I started researching. What's a word that describes that? Um, because we have, we have all the best produce that just lands at our door every single day. We can buy direct from farmers. We have um, a really great, although becoming more limited, <laughs> pool of talent. But you know, it is a culinary city, so there's a lot of people out there that want to work in the, in the industry and learn and grow. We have a, a customer base that's really adventurous. I'm, I'm always amazed when I put something that I think is a little funky on the menu mm -hmm. that I like and I think it'll be good and people will enjoy it, but I'm not expecting it to be like a menu driver and, and that it winds up being one of the things that I sell the most of. Um, so we have a really adventurous clientele in, in San Francisco. People will try anything. Um. This is Rebecca Goberstein and you're listening to Menu Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love, starting with San Francisco. We'll be right back with chef owner Trish Tracy of Myriad Gastropub. What's been a meal that's really surprised you that stuck out? Well, at Myriad, um, one of the ones that really surprised me was on the brunch menu. I put something on the menu called shakshuka. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm surprised, A, at how many people know what it is, and B, <laughs> at the people who don't know what it is, and they just, you know, they get the description from the server, and we sell a lot of it, like almost more than anything else on a brunch menu. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that sort of makes up who I am. It's, it's, it's a dish that my brother, who also has a travel bug and likes to travel, learned when he was traveling around the world when I was younger, when I was still a teenager and thought, I want to travel the world too. You know, I, I really looked up to him. Um, and he's, it's, it's one of his sort of go-to dishes. He, you know, he would make it every so often and now we're actually roommates. So he would make it and, um, you know, I get to reap the benefits of whenever he felt like making a big pot of shukshuka. And I just thought I can put this on a menu. This is good stuff. I, of course, you know, did my own thing to it and added yeah. my own flavors and, you know, have different accompaniments to it. But can you explain what shakshuka is? Yeah, it's a, a very um, um, highly spiced tomato sauce. Not spicy, but spiced. Um, we in, in mine, I put smoked paprika and there's garlic and um, I put something called ras al hanout, which is um, a spice blend. It's sort of like the the garam masala of the Middle East. So everybody has their own. Everybody kind of will add their own things to it. It generally usually has fenugreek in it. And, but everybody sort of has their own nine or ten ingredients that, you know, make up their own, you know, like a curry or like a garam masala. Right. Um, so it's got a, a, lot, um, a lot going on, a lot of different flavors. And so it's the re otherwise it's very simple. You just saute tomato and garlic and onion, a little tomato paste, and, and cook it down. And then you know add your seasonings, and then you poach your eggs right in the sauce, so they absorb all that flavor, and they're sort of you know medium, a little gooey in the middle. Um, it's served all over in a lot of different countries of the Middle East. It's you know Tunisian and Syrian, and I've met people that were in from Jerusalem the other day that were like, oh wow, um, Morocco. So it's uh, you know everybody kind of has their own version of it. I've I've often seen it served with couscous. Um, my brother learned to make it when he was in Africa. And um, he always makes it with couscous. We're serving it with a soca, which is 
a bit more of an Italian actually dish. It's a it's a um, chickpea pancake. Um, so it just so happens that the dish is also vegetarian and gluten free, right? Um, which we, I don't even actually uh, note on the menu, but that's also helpful because people are kind of trying to stay away from gluten. So you know that that also probably pushes people towards it. But um, it's you know it's a big flavor and it's something different, and people order it all the time. I've even had like you know I had a, an older couple in that were like well into their seventies, and I thought well they wouldn't go there. And she just emptied her plate. She loved it. <laughs> Sometimes when I do something that's, you know, quote unquote traditional, but then I put my own spin on it, right. I, I worry, you know, right, so right. when the, there was a, the, a table of Moroccans in one night and they were telling me how to, how I should make it too. And I was like, all right, I'll take all that to heart. Um, and they came back and they had it for brunch and they were like, okay, it's good. <laughs> you know, like my grits are not traditional grits. And I was talking to a man that was from Georgia. Mm -hmm. We were talking grits and I was like, you know, I was afraid to ask. I was like, well, how did you like them? And he was like, they were awesome. He said that you're right. They're not traditional. They're not like the grits that you would get for breakfast in the South. Mm -hmm. So what, um, what, how did you get started in the San Francisco restaurant scene? Um, well, I personally feel that I got really lucky and really blessed. I moved out here. Um, it was the early 90s, and um, I didn't have a plan or any money or a place to live. <laughs> or a job lined up. <laughs> Definitely but an adventure. I was ready for an adventure and I had a lot of energy and passion and really wanted to learn. And so I just you know, hit the ground running. Um, it was not the time of the internet. So it was literally like stopping off at you know, 30 places and dropping off my resume or mailing them in. And um, I probably tried out at 15 different restaurants because I wasn't from the Bay Area or San Francisco, even though I had experience being a sous chef and I was looking for a sous chef position. A lot of people were offering me line cook positions um, in some really nice restaurants. I mean, I tried out at Stars and Occurello and like places that anybody would want to work. I really could have worked at any one of them, but I, I was pretty determined that I didn't feel that I needed to take a step backwards at the time, so I was just waiting. and. My resume landed on the right desk at the right time. Um, it landed on the desk of a chef uh, called Nelson Cognac, and he was the chef at a restaurant called Bistro Roti at the time. It was part of the Real Restaurant Group. He was great. He was from Boston. He was like, I saw you were from New Jersey. <laughs> I remember um, it was a long process getting the job. I interviewed with him. I interviewed with Cindy Paulson, who's the you know, corporate chef, and somebody I really looked up to. I couldn't believe I was sitting there with her. Um, I interviewed with Gordon Drysdale, who was the chef at Bix at the time, and remember spilling water all down my blouse and <laughs> pretending it didn't happen. And he was like, oh, you don't think I'm going to let you get away with that, do you? Which was great because it you know, broke the ice and made me feel more comfortable. And um, I said, if they don't hire me soon, I I'm going to have to go buy more clothes. I don't have anything else to wear to these interviews. Um, so anyway, I got the job, and um, he was just really good to me. I learned a lot from him, and, and within eight months he actually moved on and I became the executive chef. So it was a just a really great learning experience for me. It was the best job job that I ever had. I stayed with them for five years. I learned a lot about running a business from them. They were they were not only like very inclusive with their management, their chefs and their GMs and their even the under management, um, they expected you to um, be a part of that, learn it, understand it, own it. And, and run their restaurants as if you own them. And I've, I've always ran every restaurant that I was in charge of, but didn't own as if I owned it be, because of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a really great time. And not only you know working for them, but 
just, the 90s were, I don't know what anybody else thinks, but the 90s were a really awesome time to be in the restaurant business <laughs> and to be a chef and to be in San Francisco. And um, you just had a lot of people who wanted to be in the business. Um, it's a little different now. It's harder to find as many people because there's, there's new technology and there's new jobs and there's new things for young people to do and ways for them to make a lot more money mm -hmm. so that even if maybe there's someone that has that passion and thinks they want to do it, you know, it's very tempting to, you know, want to make $150,000 a year at 22 years old rather than, you know, $40,000 a year right. if you're lucky. So, I mean, the 90s, uh, there seems like a lot of restaurants that are uh, still um, really trendy restaurants in San Francisco and staple um, restaurants opened in the 90s. Yeah. There's Foreign Cinema, which is not that far away. Foreign Cinema, right? Boulevard, right. One Market. Those they are all, all still there. In the 90s, yeah. yeah, Farallon. They're all, you know, that's, right. a, that's a good 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 long run right and they're not none of them are going anywhere yeah even burma superstar i think opened in in the early 90s i believe i wish um, i had a day off 90s. so i could go yeah. to burma superstar you should yeah. never have said that to me <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm gonna do on my next day off. <laughs> um so yeah it's kind of interesting i mean it also seems like um you know you mentioned that now there's this tech boom that we're going through in, in san francisco and i mean everywhere um but the 90s were similar, right? So um, in some ways yeah. to that, what, uh, what do you see are the biggest differences? Well, I think, you know, that to me from my memory that started happening in the mid to late 90s, you know, um, I think it was 1997 when I opened up Momo's and it was down by the ballpark and there was seemingly nothing there. You know, right. We really thought, you know, uh, Pete Osborne definitely has a vision. And so even though he was opening in this desolate part of town, obviously the stadium was being built and he got, you know, the front row seat. Yep. Um, but we opened before the stadium was finished being built. And so he budgeted and thought it would be a very slow build. Mm -hmm. Well, not really so, because in all those warehouses, there were tech people already. Mm -hmm. And so we opened the doors and we're like, where are all these people coming from? Yep. And we were busy right away. So yes, it was it was happening then already, but I don't think the transition had so much happened that, um, you know, I, it was just still a lot easier to find people that wanted a career in the restaurant business back then. And um, now I think it's like off the radar a little bit more. I mean, they're still out there. The culinary schools are full. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that hasn't changed, but um, there's, multiple multiple restaurants opening every week right um and it's what people do in san francisco it's entertainment i right. mean and and a lot of the big cities that's what people do for enjoyment it's not necessarily dinner and a play or dinner and a movie you know dinner can be what you're doing for the for the night or for the day or right it's saturday let's go day drinking and have brunch i mean it, it can be <laughs> your whole entertainment so there's there's a big need and I feel like there's a, a bit of a gap. If you ask any restaurant chef or any restaurant general manager, how is it finding staff? It's just not that easy. Yeah. It's just, it's and tough. It's in the, it's more in the, the ranks of like the hosts and the waiters and the cooks and uh, kind of the, the uh, I guess the worker bees that make the engine run essentially, right? Yeah, you have to have the worker bees. Yep. It's really it's really top to bottom though. I mean, it's even it's harder to find good management also, mm -hmm. and it's, it's completely understandable. I mean, you know, it's not that everybody's only motivated motivated by money, but you know, when you're younger and you're taking a look at well, what am I going to do? Right. And 
you know, when I was younger, money wasn't a thought. I, you know, that may have just been me. I, I didn't think about like, well, <laughs> what am I going to do and how much here. money will yeah. I make doing it? Right. I was just like, oh my God, I found something that's fun. Right. People will pay me for this. Um, yep. And I don't, you know, I think that, you know, kids that are growing up now in a lot of ways are just smarter than that. And, you know, they actually plan for their future and they're right. thinking about what they're going to do when they're in school and they're, and they're learning all this stuff in school so they can see a future in that. And so there's maybe not quite as many people that are going into the quote unquote blue collar. I mean, I consider myself blue collar. Right, right. I'm in there getting dirty every day. Right. Um, and so that, you know, leaves less people to, to do do stuff like this. No. You mentioned that you had this grain of thought in your head for a long time since you were a teenager to start no. your own restaurant. But what what made you realize that now is the right time? I felt like I was really ready to do it probably six or seven years ago, a, a little bit more. But um, I had some family trauma. My mother took ill, um, so that all sort of got put on hold. Gladly so. I got to spend um, three really great years with my mom and, until she unfortunately passed. And as you already know from all of our conversations, she was definitely the core of our family and mm -hmm. a uh, really strong influence on my life as well as just my best friend. Mm -hmm. So everything sort of got put on hold a little bit. And then obviously when she was gone, I wasn't ready to just be like, okay, well, let's just do it. Um, so it took me a minute. I took some time. I, I stayed in New Jersey with my family for a couple of years. And then... Um, it was time for me to come back here. Mm -hmm. I, I missed my home here. Uh, it was uh, really bittersweet saying goodbye to all of my family that I'd reconnected with there, but we're closer than ever and it's only miles that separates us. So I came back and I was sort of just, okay, how do I actually do this? You know, just because I had said I was ready and I made the move back here, I really wasn't quite ready. Um, so I was a chef at a place called Home for a little while. Um, in the Castro? In the Castro, yeah. And it was unfortunately just right before their um, demise, I guess you can say. They had hired me to quote unquote sort of like revamp the place, but I think they were just, just coming to the end of their life there as the owners and they were ready to, to move on. So anyway, I, I sort of just helped them rejuvenate the place for a little while and then was there on hand while they tried to, to sell it and then you know it's a long story but it didn't go that way right um so when that uh finished it just sort of made me take a look like well, what are you doing <laughs> um and I wasn't ready I still wasn't ready my my mind wasn't in the right place I I knew deep down that I would do it a hundred percent um but I wasn't ready and I had always wanted you know I've always traveled but never for more than a week or two at a time. And I always wanted to just, you know, pack a bag and, and take off. And I always wondered, well, how do people do that? Um, because people I wonder do that it, too. Well, people do it all the time, especially younger people. And they just pack a bag and they just, you know, leave their apartment and then they come back and, you know, they go for six months and they come back and they don't have any money and they just start over again. I just don't have that in me. I've been putting money in my, you know, in a jar on my desk or in the bank or whatever since I was five. So right. I just never had that in me to just kind of be... I not irresponsible, that's not the right word, but maybe that carefree. Yeah. Um, but I finally just, and, and when you're working in the restaurant business and you're a chef, you either, uh, you have time because you're taking time off in between jobs, which is what restaurant people do when they want to really get a break. You, you leave a job with no job lined up. 
you know, in the right way and for the good reasons, you're just like, I'm ready to take a break, but then you don't have any money, you know, mm -hmm. so you either have time and no money or you have money and no time. And I just decided to finally stop just saying that that was just the case and I just said, I'm doing it, I'm just gonna go. And I um, really made the decision to take a trip to Asia and within two weeks just had a whole itinerary booked <laughs> and just decided it was time. So I um, scraped together a little bit of money and I put the rest on credit cards and I sublet my room and just, said I will figure it so I kind of you know I I didn't go for six months and I didn't like move out and put my stuff in someone's garage I I wasn't really able to just throw complete caution to the wind but I took a 10-week trip through Asia by myself um, I did meet up with a couple of people that I knew in, in a couple of places but I was mostly traveling alone and it was just an amazing experience and it yeah. gave me time in my own head it gave me time to grieve and it gave me time to eat and see and meet people and it was it was really great and i knew that you know when i came back i would sort of get ready and start working on it yeah so i did so i came back and i um i did a lot of consulting so that i would have free time to work on on my project and i i literally um on new year's eve was talking to some friends and they're like so you know what are you doing are you still gonna open your own restaurant i was like yep i'm ready mm -hmm. and the next day i was a little hungover so it wasn't <laughs> January 1st, but January 2nd, I I just literally like pulled the switch and yeah. started working on it January 2nd, 2013, and um, thought it would take about a year and a half, and it took two. Right. And then I got open, but I worked on it nonstop from that day that I just flipped that switch in my head that this is it, and I'm ready, and it's time. Yep. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to stop until I was doors open. So somewhere along the way, it would feel like maybe doors weren't going to open, but yeah. deep down in my gut, I was like, doors are going to open, we're going to do this. How did you decide on um, on the theme and sort of the food focus for Myriad? Because it sounds like you had quite a bit of uh, experience and breadth and range, and obviously you had also just come off a trip from Asia. Right. So how did you land on this Middle Eastern almost style or like elements of, you know, of that on the restaurant. Well, yeah, I wouldn't call it a Middle Eastern style. There happens to be some Middle Eastern elements in there, but mm -hmm. there's there's definitely um, a wide range of, of global flavors on the menu, mm -hmm. and it wasn't something that I just like like sat down and said I need to come up with my theme and what is it. It's really just comes from how I like to eat and how I like to cook and how I like to go out to eat with people, and just from my overall experiences as as a chef and as a diner. The other thing that's really important to me, um, both as a, a chef and a, now a restaurateur and as a diner, is I, I like to go places that feel comfortable. I like to go out to really high-end restaurants, you know, when I can afford it. Um, it's a great experience. You don't get a free meal as a chef? <laughs> Sometimes you do. <laughs> chefs, are very, chefs are very good to each other. But, yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, when I go out to eat, I like to have a really great meal. I like to have food that's been prepared with technique and skill and love and yeah. great ingredients. But I personally would you know, prefer it to be in a relaxed environment. So um, the gastropub sort of theme just definitely speaks to me. So you know, my thought on um, when I opened my own place and having it be a gastropub has been something that's you know, been in my head for years at mm -hmm. this point. And because of the things that held me back and you know, made it take a little longer for me to open my restaurant, it was funny because um, somebody said to me, oh, she's trying to jump on the gastropub bandwagon. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know what kind of bandwagon it is. Um, <laughs> the restaurant business tends to go through trends, and when it's going through a trend, it's because people are enjoying a certain thing, and so a lot of people start to do it. You right. know, uh, this was a thought that I had for a long time, and I wasn't going to like not 
um, call it a gastropub because now there's more gastropubs. It's, right. it's a, a, um, a style of service and a style of restaurant that, that speaks to me and that I think that my guests would enjoy. I want them to come in and feel like they got really great food that you know, I put a lot of thought and effort and time into and trained my cooks and used great ingredients and they put it in their face and like, oh, I need another bite of that. But they feel relaxed, they feel at home, they feel warm and welcome. You know, so just pulling all that together, that's sort of always been, over the years, you know, being from 18 years old until, you know, in my 40s when I opened the restaurant, probably some thought processes have changed, you mm-hmm. know, depending on the different people that I worked for and styles. But one thing that never changed was that I just wanted a place where people came in and felt welcome. Right. And felt like no pretense. Right. So you, you talked ab- um, about the funding and, and the challenges of, of that. Um, so what's what's been the most rewarding thing about everything that you've been able to do so far? Mm, a few things. Um, at this point, now that we're open and up and running, um, as you can tell, I'm not shy. <laughs> so <laughs> I spend a lot of time in the dining room. I have mm-hmm. a really great crew in the kitchen. And, you know, when I'm needed there, that's where I am. But if not, I'm, I'm out roaming around. And people are enjoying what we're doing. And people have been really um, complimentary and embracing us and, you know, taking the time to go on Yelp or, you know, whatever, to go onto the website. And, and really, I mean, people are busy. So if somebody takes 15 or 20 minutes out of their day to go out of their way to do that, like, I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been very good to us. I feel really blessed to have a really great customer base already. We already have regulars and and even people, you know, there was some guy from Belgium who's not going to be back, and he put a very long review up for us. And right. I try to take the time as much as possible to respond to all of them, um, even the, you know, the good ones and the ones that tell us where they think we fell short. Mm-hmm. Um, it means a lot to me. I take it to heart. And if somebody did feel like they didn't have the perfect experience, I definitely reach out to them and let them know that, you know, we took what they said to heart and try to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really rewarding. Like just walking in here and seeing it full and talking to people and they're just, everyone's drinking and eating and getting loud and having a good time. That's absolutely one of the most rewarding things. Um, you mentioned restaurant number two. Is that what we can expect <laughs> next? I mean, it's only been a few weeks. Fingers crossed. <laughs> it sounds a little insane to even mention it. Right. But, um, and it, not anytime soon. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're six or seven weeks in here, so we have a long way to go. But yeah, eventually. Um, knock on wood. I'm not, yeah, knock on a really <laughs> nice burned wood table. Um, I'm not trying to build a huge empire, but uh, I see, you know, another one or two in my future. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to be able to provide growth for the people that work with me now mm-hmm. and provide growth for myself and keep it exciting and, some, you know, something, something new to do. But we'll get this baby up and running properly first for a couple of years. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. As yeah. you said, people are busy. Well, it's my pleasure. <laughs> it was fun. Thank you. That was Chef Trish Tracy of Myriad Gastro Pub in San Francisco. Be sure to view the full episode on MenuStories.com. On the next episode of Menu Stories, we meet the dynamic duo behind San Francisco's only Guamanian restaurant, Sean Naputi and Sean Camacho of Prubechu in the Mission District. Subscribe to Menu Stories on MenuStories.com so you can get the next episode delivered to your inbox. You can listen on our website, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. Special thanks to Siska Silatonga, Menu Stories assistant editor and producer, and Patrick Wong, our videographer. 
I'm your host and producer, Rebecca Goberstein, and until next time, happy eating.